I don't know why I wanted to take the hardest road. I don't know why the man with the briefcase gave me the hardest road, but it's nothing the man with the briefcase don't put me in situations I can't handle. I just kept that same positive attitude, like instead of saying, why me? I said, this is what he wants me to do. Shack News, this is for you. <laughs> Welcome to a very special episode of the Shackcast, the official Shack News podcast of Shack News. It's finally here. Woo! The day has come. Yeah. Rocket Jump has hit ShackNews.com. Rocket Jump Quake and the golden era of first-person shooters. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk about this. You've been working on this mega feature, long read, mega read, yeah. mega long read, longish this, feature-ish. This is the longest article article in quotes i've ever i've ever written so long as lebron james quote at the beginning there that yeah was the only thing that was the only way we could open this episode really because it was the longest hardest road yeah but we did it for shack news we you, you did it i well i i helped along the way yeah we went to quake con yeah you've talked to all sorts of people yes from id software and beyond and beyond yeah. um and yeah we i think have put together the definitive history of quake development yeah and also that era i think we've highlighted some games that changed the path of gaming forever yeah uh so yeah let's let's talk a little bit about this um how did you start this when when we're when i'm like hey you know it'd be cool let's do a quake feature well <laughs> i think it goes back even to before then because this spring so I've done three Shack News selects are these these long these long read long form pieces. So the first one I did a little over a year ago, which was Tomb Raider, mm -hmm. but that one that was very focused. That was like maybe ten fifteen thousand words on primarily Crystal Dynamics Tomb Raider reboot. But then this spring, uh, we did Doom twenty sixteen, and when I was working on that one, I was like, you know, I don't want to completely retread this ground because David Kushner's Masters of Doom is fantastic. He he gives a great account of the the history of id software and the, the, the wolfenstein 3d doom and and quake one games but i thought i gotta i want to roll in some classic doom coverage so that people can more closely kind of compare and contrast doom 2016 and the originals and that one got up to forty thousand words and it's not just quantity over quality i'm very proud of that piece but it was uh it was the longest piece in shack news history at that time yeah and i think it was after that when you i think you said like you should do quake next because shack news started as a quake fan site yeah and i said you know i'm gonna do that and i started working on that i think it was probably after e3 that's right and i thought you know quake came out in 96 which we were like the pedal to the metal was down in the that that to me and to a lot of people is the golden era of first person shooters. I think that's when the most innovation occurred. It, it, that's why that's one reason I don't play a lot of shooters today because they're kind of all cut from the Call of Duty or Battlefield cloth. And there's nothing wrong with those games, but there's just not a lot of innovation or creativity relative to back in the '90s when yes, there were droves of Doom clones, but that's that's kind of as far as it went. As far as just simple clones, like some, you know, Raven said, well, let's take the Doom engine and make a fantasy game. Yeah. And then you had games like Kingpin, and then you had games like Duke Nukem and, and Rise of the Triad and Half-Life. It was so different. Really, all they had in common with Doom was its first person and their guns. 
But from there, it was so different. Mm-hmm. So I thought, if I'm going to write about Quake, I don't want to just write about Quake. I'm going to kind of make Quake the the epicenter, if you will, <laughs> of an article that touches on console and PC-based first-person shooters from that era. So for Rocket Jump, I do deep dives into Quake 1, 2, 3, and Champions. And then there are chapters devoted to, I think, Rise of the Triad, Duke Nukem 3D, GoldenEye, Half-Life, Team Fortress, and then there are a bunch of interviews. And so I'm not you know, writing the, the comprehensive making up to all those games. I usually kind of focus on one thing per game. Yeah. Uh, with the Apogee chapter, my focus was on, and Scott Miller talked to me about this. He's like, you know, we helped, Apogee helped, it get started we published commander keen and wolfenstein and then they did their own thing so we didn't want to make a game that would compete directly with doom because we're like we know the doom is great so they try to do something different so with rise of the triad it was a very almost cartoonish and violent game yeah you know like there were a lot of uh, a lot of uh, jibs that's how john romero says to pronounce it i'm a gib guy i'm a hard g guy i gotta admit yeah it's tough yeah like he's like so i was interviewing john romero and i said gibbs he's like ah david it's it's jibs i'm like okay john you kind of made this how does work. he pronounce gif that's the thing that's the thing i'm like does he this, pronounce it jif i don't think he does ask him for me I'm as gonna, a follow-up I'll, I'll ask him like asif has a follow-up question i will I how will do you ask. pronounce gif john so i i acquiesced because like he's john freaking romero exactly i'm talking to him yeah, exactly but listen john it's gif my friend it is <laughs> it is so uh yeah, so uh, you know, I uh, each chapter devoted to a, a different first-person shooter kind of focuses on one aspect of that. Like the Apogee chapter focuses on how Apogee's Rise of the Triad and then and then its 3D realms, Duke Nukem 3D, were different than what uh, it was doing with Doom and Quake, respectively. Yeah, and the Half-Life chapter focuses on Gold Source, the engine that Valve licensed from ID. So the whole chapter, that chapter, is about how. Uh, id tech 2 the quake engine was a foundation but then gold source like i think they, the the guy I talked to jay stelly who's one of the lead engineers on half-life he said like we wrote like 80 percent of that code base yeah uh so that's kind of what i wanted to do the golden eye chapter is one of my favorites it focuses uh, largely on the control scheme like how do you take first person shooter a genre that was born on on computers as far back as like maze word at mit how do you make those fun and um controllable on on consoles and so that's kind of what rocket jump is you'll get deep dives into quick and then there are what i call pause screens which are these other chapters that you could skip if you want but if you read them you'll get a lot of insight into into team fortress and the modding scene with quake c uh half-life and and golden eye and, and all these other games so that's that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question but i'm kind of a long-winded talker and writer because <laughs> i think rocket jumps over a hundred thousand words i wanted to write about quake but i didn't just want to write about quake because i felt like in that era you couldn't you couldn't write about one game without talking about another yeah if i were writing about unreal i would have to write about quake also it's everything was very connected around that we time. specifically left unreal out of this we did because i'm a i'm a big unreal fan and I kind of want to, well, you I, didn't, I, I would like to tackle that at a point. You, you feel future. like it's almost like they deserve to be separate. Like, yeah. here's Quake, here's Unreal. Not not this whole Quake versus Unreal, yeah. if you will. And I touch on that <laughs> because there are even some id employees I talked, they were like, yeah, honestly, yeah, I helped make Quake 3, but like uh, I thought Unreal Tournament was better. And like that was some interesting insight because yeah. they even said like with Quake 3, for example, we set out to make a pure 
raw, undistilled deathmatch game because that's what it does. And I, I I agree with that. I think if you yeah. want pure deathmatch, you play Quake Three mm-hmm. or Live uh, or Champions but, even or, or Champions even. But but Unreal Tournament had that and also had a lot of experimental weapons and you know, the modifiers for the game modes and stuff. Also, the level design the was level design was next level fantastic. It was so so. Any one of the games I wrote about is worthy of its own long-form feature. Totally. But like I said, I thought, well, if I'm going to take Unreal, I don't want to write about just one thing because Unreal Epic kind of mirrored its journey in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, uh, the, the Unreal Engine, I think, was the, the biggest engine going for a long time there and might still be. And there was a lot of personalities at Unreal, at Epic. There were. Like, you know, the Cliff Blazinski is kind of like the, almost like the John Romero, I would say. This yeah. really brilliant, creative, eccentric designer who I think is just... I mean, yeah, I don't want to give short shrift to any of the games I wrote about because I could easily write 100,000 words on them. But I thought, you know, Unreal is something that, like, I should set aside and tackle later. Yeah, it felt like, it definitely felt like, okay, we can do something a lot bigger. Yeah. But at the same time, we could write a lot about Duke. Absolutely. We could, or Apogee. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think the way that you tackled it was, like, you wanted to paint this picture of an era, yeah. not just of quake i really wanted to zoom the lens out it's kind of like in in a fantasy or a war movie where you you focus on two characters but then every now and then the camera will just pull out and you'll get uh, kind of a picture of the battlefield as a whole it's, it's funny you mentioned that oh yeah there's definitely two characters that emerge in mm-hmm. this feature mm-hmm. or in this mega feature mm-hmm. they're both named john yeah the two johns you got john carmack brilliant programmer and john romero yes who's like one of the most creative level designers of all time and actually still a very good player absolutely of deathmatch games Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of the time you the the more i read i read through this it's like they remind id software reminds me of the beatles Mm -hmm. where it's like these people who were put together that when they worked together it was amazing but you could see how that work would make them hate each other. Yeah. Make them hate the work, make them almost hate the industry. And it's like, it, it's really shocking at times where you're like, wow, like you look, looking back at it, I'm sure a lot of those guys feel like if they could have made it work, what would this company have been? Yeah. You know, uh, I, I got that tone of like, it's like, it's not, it's almost like spiteful regret. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm glad I'm not at it anymore, but man, that's the best work I ever did. Sure. Sure. One of the things I, I even, I point out in the article and I couldn't help realizing it was that um, Quake the quake that came out in june 1996 ended up being kind of a window into it at that time Mm -hmm. quake was quake's design was kind of all over the place even as they were developing it they wanted it to be an rpg with a fantasy setting quake was going to be a character quake was going to be the character going to be this guy (laughs) named quake this hero leader of a band of heroes and you would use this this hammer kind of like thor's hammer and you'd have the sentient cube floating around they would have like its own kind of personality that game sounded really cool that game sounded really cool (laughs) and then it shifted they're like okay we're gonna make another first person shooter and you know john romero sent me some design documents some of which i talk about uh but you know he asked that i not show 
because uh, he kind of does his own thing on his blog. He has archives he likes to publish on his blog. Others that he he sent me and said I could publish them. So you'll see that in Rocket Jump if you read it. Cool. Um, but you know he had these grand plans for Quake the the pure FPS design. But the problem was I found out that it crunched almost like a year and a half over this entire development from like the kind of the end of Doom Two to the launch of Quake where people were just kind of burnt out. And so they just kind of kept truncating the design, truncating and truncating it until, you know, he, he had plans for voiceovers. There were going to be cinematics. And eventually it just kind of ended up being Doom and a 3D engine, which mm-hmm. is kind of reductive. But to me, that's not an insult. He even, John Romero even said, I said, I asked him, so which do you prefer, Doom or Quake? And he said, I prefer Doom, but I'm still very proud of Quake. The reason I prefer Doom, though, is because it turned out exactly how I wanted it. Whereas on Quake, everyone kind of had to make concessions. Totally. So when I say that Quake 1 ended up being a window into id, you look at Quake 1, and when you play it, you kind of get the idea like, wow, this this game kind of feels random. I start an army base, and then I'm in this castle, and what's going on? There were going there was going to be more connective tissue, but it didn't end up making the cut. And yeah. that's kind of what was going on in it at the time. A lot of people were just kinda of all over the place. Each level designer was doing his own thing with his own textures made by the artists by request. Yeah. I talked to American McGee was one of the guys I talked to and he said, Yeah, you know, I'd just go back to to Kevin Cloud and Adrian Carmack, the the two artists, and say like I like metal and lava. Can I have some of those textures? And they just make them. Yeah, and there so, was no one telling them. No, no, no. That no, don't do that. Or yes, do that. Right. There was Romero was supposed to be in that position. Right. But he did not. I don't know if he was busy, or if he didn't feel. Maybe he was not really the person to be in charge. Maybe not. You know. You know. The interesting thing he admitted to me. So one of the chapters, one of the pause screens is called Ideas from the Deep, which is kind of the id initials. They called themselves Ideas from the Deep for a little while before they just went with id software. And one of the things, uh, one of the most enjoyable parts of writing this feature for me was John Romero's candor. Mm -hmm. He actually said, there's a quote, he said, you know, I was in the office more than people said. But yes, like I did, I I had, for the first time in my life, we had, you know, money and cars and fame and i got a little into that and he even said like you know i think i did that i kind of regret is i played a lot of deathmatch at work and on the one hand it was kind of research because we were studying like what made deathmatch and doom so great and how to carry that over to quake but on the other hand if i had someone like me and an employee that i ran he'd be fired yeah and i really like that about john romero he's very willing to admit to his strengths and his weaknesses i think he's had time absolutely to think about it now absolutely. where when he was 20 something and had and every you know John Carmack just got his Ferrari yeah. they were young with a ton of money and egos were flying all over the place sure. where i think it manifested in Quake 1 which i though i think the feature does a really good job of highlighting is the episodes Mm-hmm. how they did four episodes for the four different level designers yeah you know it's like you guys aren't gonna work well together clearly well but here's this thing that's gonna when you when you when you let them do their best yes um, you get these american mcgee levels that are freaking great that's right you know and then sandy's uh, you know his fourth episode yeah man which to me is like iconic it is uh the world yep. reading about the water cube <laughs> i was cracking up man yeah. i was like this is that to me was like that's quake one yes. in a nutshell is that water cube like well we can 
we could put water in the air and have the player fall through it like wouldn't that be wild and john Romero was like yeah they're like yes you know and it's just like the way the the hub you know because romero designed the hub for the episodes Mm -hmm. the way that it's designed in i think echoes that the way that it was at that time right here's this guy over here here's this guy over here here's this guy over here and here's this guy over here and to me that was one of the like i think even sandy peterson said like he actually found that charming yeah like on the one hand there's not a cohesion between the episodes but on the other hand who cares that's it because they're fun and they stand on their own and that's what like sandy peterson said he said you know he loved designing levels for doom and doom 2 but they didn't Doom 2 didn't have episodes. It was just levels 1 through 30. 31 and 32 were secret. Doom 1 had episodes, but they didn't assign designers to episodes. Everyone just kind of worked on levels here and there. Sandy Peterson said one of the things he didn't like about that was one of his his signatures is he likes to kind of... uh, dial back the amount of ammo and health yeah ammo yeah. and health to make you kind of work for it and to add a little bit of tension but you know he said like john romero's level he's big on action so if you played a john romero level first and you stock up on ammo and weapons and then go into a sandy peterson level it won't be as challenging because you're coming in with all those guns and ammo yep and so the, i think the strength of quake one actually is the fact that its episodes are disparate mm-hmm. because sandy's episode is very unique from americans episode three from john romero's episode two and tim Willett's episode one and and i like the fact that they all played to strengths yep they, they, they it was a very healthy competition in some ways back then where they said like you know tim Willett's makes really great looking levels john romero's levels are action-packed american mcgee's levels are they have this very distinctive look, and Sandy Peterson's are just wild. And wasn't uh, Americans kind of more cerebral too? He was he introduced the puzzle. He did uh, to to Quake, so, and he wanted to make it more than just a shooter. He, exactly. So uh, American McGee was kind of the man on the ground for John Carmack when John Carmack was writing It Tech Two. American McGee was the designer working kind of side by side with him, testing features of the engine as they would come online. So uh, American McGee arguably had. Uh, probably the second best uh, degree of insight into the engine and its capabilities than John did. And, you know, American told me, he's like, I'm no programmer, but John would say, hey, this come on, this came online, try it. And American could try it. And he kind of understood it by using it. Yeah. And so, like, uh, American McGee made um, E1M7, which is the boss fight at the end of episode one. Where That's you, right. You, know, you, ha- you fight the big Diablo-type demon, but mm-hmm. you don't, you can't shoot him. It's yeah. a little bit of a puzzle. That's right. And he made the secret level in episode one, Ziggurat Vertigo, where yep. he played with gravity. And he's like, this. the whole point of Ziggurat Vertigo was just we could experiment with gravity, so let's make a level where you have low gravity. Yeah. And it was just really fun. That's where I think it, the the game has this balance yeah. of being like revolutionary, but also, like you said, it's it's a window into what was going on at that company at the time. Exactly. There was a... There was a revolution going on. The id Tech 2 was revolutionary. Yes. John Carmack had a vision mm-hmm. for doing something cool, but he had these guys with him with imaginations that could really take his engine and do things he didn't even think of. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's why I go back to the Beatles is that you have these artists that when put together can do something that's bigger than them as individuals. Right. That's what Quake 1 was. But then there's also the whole the decision to make it an FPS. You know, there's these these moments where it was like it spoke to the lack of experience from a management standpoint. Sure. Like there wasn't really a manager. 
right at that company there was no guy thinking like well guys this is the business side well you know the funny thing is one thing sandy peterson said you know he left midway through quake 2's development but he, he kept tabs on people there he had friends there mm-hmm. and he said a lot of uh, crap hit the fan uh before zenimax bought them and he said it's a good thing they did because zenimax probably took one look at that studio and said like clearly no one here should be be in charge of anything yeah that's what it really needed they needed a manager they had the technical genius they had creative geniuses but they needed come one they needed someone to come in and steer the ship yeah they need like a project manager exactly a producer yeah a producer and i think a lot of that was thrust upon romero and carmack yeah where it was like john was you know carmack was working on the engine right that guy just thinks in ones and zeros that guy's like i'm working on the engine that's what i'm doing and they're one of the recurring (laughs) themes i found through quake's history and and you'll read about in rocket jump is that john carmack at least back then most of his peers respected his his genius and his his savvy but said he wasn't a very good leader because he would have this tunnel vision Mm mm-hmm Id's games were defined by their tech, which means they were defined by what Carmack wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, during Quake 2, one thing that Adrian Carmack told me was that Kevin Cloud, Kevin Cloud was kind of the lead designer on Quake 2. He came up with the Strog, and uh, he, um, he and uh, one of the programmers, John Cash, uh, came up with really uh, advanced AI for the time. But then John Carmack said, nah, I'm going to do this thing with the engine, and it completely tanked the AI system. So you remember playing Quake 2, every now and then the Strog will like duck your rockets. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid being impressed by that. And I thought, well, that's all they can do. It, it also seems sporadic. Maybe they'll duck, maybe they won't. And Adrian Carmack said, yeah, we had a lot better AI planned. But Carmack's overnight decision completely tanked that. And we didn't have time to rewrite it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another incident after Quake 3 where Graham Devine, who was uh, the lead designer on Quake 3, and a bunch, a few, a few others, including Adrian Carmack, were working on a game called Quest. Uh, the whole studio got hooked on EverQuest, and they wanted to make their own MMO, so they had this project codenamed Quest. And John Carmack and a bunch of others uh, said, "You know what? We want to make Doom 3. But one of Carmack's things was he didn't want the company to be really big. He liked the smaller, more intimate size where everyone was working on the same project. Yep. And he kind of put his foot down and said, we do Doom 3 or I, or I walk. And at that time, they needed Carmack. They needed his engine because id Tech, I think it was four. Yeah. Doom 3 was still in development. And so uh, Graham said, you know, I love John. He's a good friend of mine, but that was a bad way to lead. That's not what a leader should do. Yeah. A leader doesn't force ultimatums. Uh, I think one, you, you had this one little story that really... I think shined a light on Carmack's character a little. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think it's, you know, not to, not to disparage him, but it's a story about him lifting a computer. Like he, he yeah. needed a computer back in, was it in high He's school? In high school yeah. yeah. And he straight up stole one. Right. From his high school. And Sandy Peterson, <laughs> Sandy Peterson asked him about the story. And he's like, well, John, why wouldn't you, why would you do that? And Carmack just said, well, I needed it. Like he didn't see, he didn't, to him that was not immoral, it was just amoral. You know, it's like, well, I, I need the computer, they don't, so why wouldn't I take this? Which supports my theory that he's a robot. Right, right. You know? And that's the thing, I want to be very clear, I have a ton of respect for Carmack, but you mentioned earlier, he sent out this tweet, he's like, for those of you, I, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. I haven't read it, you read, you, you say it, because I yeah, haven't read he, it. Yeah, uh, he was like, for anyone who puts me on a pedestal, just know that I... You you should see me fumbling around with GitHub, right? <laughs> Which is the thing. The thing is, like Carmack is this. He is a genius. I think he's a bona fide genius, but he's also human. 
Yeah. Ultimately. And he, you know, I got to talk to him. I got to run some questions by him. Not as many as I would have liked, but he's a busy guy. But he even said, like, you know, yeah, I, I still miss a lot of social cues. My wife is kind of sanded down those rough edges. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, yeah, Quake 1 was just an interesting period because, like I said, that game's episodic structure and how each episode is different from the next was kind of a, a window into it at the time. Yeah, it was It was a patchwork that came together that ended up being great. Right. But it wasn't... Uh, it, it was against all odds it was that that happened and it was also not what romero wanted but this is this is interesting thing this is what makes hindsight kind of this blessing and a curse because on the one hand the blessing side like well maybe it's a good thing you pivoted because now quake is a classic up there with doom and the rest of your games on the other hand well, maybe it wouldn't have turned out well but maybe it would have who knows what it would have created yeah maybe that fancy game would have been better than Elder Scrolls. Yeah. I think that's one thing. That's something I learned about from, you know, their pivot from Quake's original direction and, and, and shutting down that quest MMO. Uh, it had opportunities to create new IPs, but Carmack didn't really care about IPs. He cared about technology. He wanted to do engines and he wanted to do first person shooters because that was the showcase for his engines. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that makes him a bad guy. It was just, to me, proof that maybe he should not have been in this leadership position because he wasn't really making... He, on the one hand, it's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. He was making good decisions for the studio because you can't say it has not made a lot of bad games. Yeah. But on the other hand, there wasn't a lot of creativity. And because of the schedules that those guys worked all through its history, a lot of very talented people just kind of burned out. That's right. And who knows what they could have made had things been a, a bit more reasonable and egalitarian there. yeah i think if if everyone had a voice it yeah. would have been a different company right and maybe early on that would have led to worse games right but later on i think it would have been interesting yeah um to see those two what ifs sure. quest and also what what quake was going to be right because when you look at quake and you hear romero's ideas right for the original version of that game the art style the architecture in it some of the weapons Mm -hmm. it fits that it does more than the game was sure it always felt like a weird kind of art style for the game that it was it It was a break from the doom art style you know and they they talked about the color palette decision sure uh which was completely technology driven yeah you know and it's just that speaks to there that right there sums up id was that, okay, you're going to have these colors. Well, why, John? Because that's what this engine can do. Right. And that's what you're going to do. Right. Because my engine is Lord. Right. You know, and I, I think you get that mixed with Romero, mixed with Tim Willits yeah. and American McGee. And Sandy Peterson. Everyone and, there was a personality. Yeah. They're all like rock stars. Yeah. So it, it really just, it, it became a mess. It did. You could see it early. But it was it was also <laughs> this kind of beautiful chaos. Totally. It's like a mosh pit. Yeah, it, re- <laughs> it really was. It really was. And that's, you know, kind of moving into Quake 2. Quake 2 might be the most cohesive game mm-hmm. it has ever done. Yeah. It, it had what is, in my opinion, still their best campaign. Uh, the story still boiled down to shoot and destroy things. But you had, you had a world you were following a narrative uh it was really quake 2 i think you could you know there's still debates going on between the gameplay of quake 1 and quake 2 i think i prefer quake 1's gameplay by a very narrow margin 
but I loved Quake 2's cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. But that was all smoke and mirrors. Behind the scenes, politically, a lot of people said that was probably the worst, one of the worst periods in its history. Yeah. So for all of the cohesion and beauty of Quake 2 on the surface, beneath it, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on internally. Yeah, I think Quake 1 resembled what was happening in that. It was more of a snapshot. Right. Quake 2 was almost like a cover-up of the mess that was going on it underneath really was. it. It really was. And it was a beautiful cover-up, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, you had Romero out the door. Yeah. You had a lot of people infighting. And, yeah, you had John Carmack becoming more... His ego was growing. I think it was growing. And uh, it's interesting. Like, I I don't think he was trying to be like this tyrant. I just think that one way, one thing Romero said, he kind of floated the theory that Carmack tended to get his way because even though, you know, there were very talented designers at id after he left, the owners at id didn't trust anyone who wasn't an owner. Yep. And so that, that is a role that Romero filled he was an owner he was also a designer he was kind of a handyman at id mm-hmm. but he, you know tom hall was fired romero was fired and i really don't think this was john carmack like soon it will be me and i will rule it was just you had people who were co-founders but everyone in their place didn't really have that same pool they didn't have that same breadth of experience yeah and the other thing is like again like you really can't say carmack was wrong because it is, was and still is very successful. I think their their two biggest stumbles so far have been Doom 3, which I loved, but I, I get why some people don't, mm-hmm. and Rage, which wasn't really my cup of tea, but I guess it still did well enough. Uh, yeah, and if those are your two biggest failures, you're doing pretty good. And and again, those were showpieces for the engine that Carmack was working on at the time. But I think it, it speaks to the philosophy, not just of Carmack, but of the whole company, where if something wasn't working... It goes in the garbage. Yep. And we saw that, We and I think you talked about it in uh, in your Doom Select earlier this year, mm-hmm. where they had Call of Doom ready to ship, and they're like, no, yeah. we can't do this. It'll kill the franchise. Right. So even now, with a completely different group over there, they had that religion, or that in, that, that, that philosophy. done yeah. philosophy. But knowing that sometimes it might be done, but no, right. this isn't right. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think... That's why you haven't seen a terrible id game. Yeah. You know? Ever. Yeah. There's some divisive ones, but there's never been a bad id yeah, game. Yeah, you can't look at them and be important. like, this is categorically Superman 64 levels of bad. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like, even when they make a bad game, it's not terrible. Right. Uh, which I think speaks to them, uh, their uh, attention to detail and their quality levels that they expect as a company. Yeah. Um, and that's, Quake 2 is a, f- a fine example of that. Right. Which, it's my favorite Quake. Yeah, I, I absolutely love. I think it has my favorite single player campaign for its cohesion. I, I enjoy Quakes, but for very different reasons than I enjoy Quakes Two, Quake Twos. Yeah, I really liked the Strog. I think the Strog uh, lend merit to the the idea that uh, you know you can design a campaign that is cohesive, and there are strengths to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason, one of the reasons I think Quake Two is kind of underappreciated is because I think it did some of what Half Life did about a year later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quake 2's world certainly wasn't as interactive. The only way you interact with things in that world is by shooting them. Yeah. Um, but it it did... So we're talking about smoke and mirrors. Before Quake 2, 
the objective in id games was get the colored keys open the colored doors shoot all the things quick 2 was kind of like that in its own way but the objectives were different the objective was hey start up the satellite hey power up the tram hey open lower this bridge you were really still kind of doing the same simple things but you felt like you you could feel like this you were paving a road of goals that led somewhere yeah sure and that was all smoke and mirrors but i thought it was effective at the time i was interested in not so much the story, but just the world and, and the lore and what was happening as I played it. And I still get that feeling playing through Quake 2. Mm-hmm. It had interconnected levels, too. Like it was That really was a cool. big deal for them. It was a big deal. Like Quake 1, so both both Quake 1 and 2 were built on id Tech 2, but Quake 2 had dramatic improvements made. Yeah. So that you were you could go into like larger outdoor areas to where you could like see like a, a ziggurat or a building off in the distance and know, oh, I'm going to go there eventually. That was pretty cool for a Quake game. I think that was a benefit of the time they had yeah, and also some benefits in technology. Absolutely. Because uh, tech was ramping up really rapidly at that time. But the interesting thing about the time with them is Quake 1 came out in June 96. Quake 2 was December 97. Yeah. It was 18 months. Like They were really banging these things out. But it wasn't really 18 months because as I talk about in the rocket jump, John Carmack <laughs> came back in like I think the spring of '97. It was like I'm rewriting the engine and to use DLLs, and that crashed a lot of systems. So really, that game they made what the sh- the Quake Two that shipped from like March to December. Yeah, like they basically have nine months the time. Yeah, or almost have the time. Yeah, yeah, nine months. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, and that will make you hate working there. Yeah, and that's what started happening. Right, was that. People who were doing the work they loved started hating work, and that was a that was a studio that during Doom or during you know even Wolf, like those guys were living at work and having a blast, you know, and they wouldn't go home. They'd after work they would be playing Mario or they you right. know they were just they were chilling at the office. It became a thing where they're like, I want to get the hell out of here. Right. Uh, somewhere around the end of Quake One and well into Quake Two you had started to see the people who were passionate about the the company really start to fall out of love with it. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing, uh, one thing that John Romero said was that from from November 95 to June two th- uh, 96, seven months, that was, that was crunch. And he said that's an important distinction because before then, we basically lived, ate, slept, breathed, worked, but we didn't call it crunching. We were all there because we wanted to be there. We were having fun working hard together. Quake one was miserable, and for a lot of people, Quake two is miserable. There was a lot of social pressure. There was a there was an expectation, not tacit, very explicit, that people expected you to just be there, even if there was nothing going on, even if you couldn't do anything, you were expected to be there. Uh, I've worked at companies like that. It sucks. It's a terrible attitude to have. Yeah, you know, it's scientifically proven that if if you don't get enough sleep, if you don't take some personal time just to refresh, you're going to turn out piss poor work, which is really setting your project behind. Mm-hmm. Rather than letting your employees, you know, reconnect with those those people they live with, their families, get catch up on sleep every now and then, have a day off. Which goes back to my theory that John Carmack might be a robot. Might be a robot. He might be. He goes to bed with his VR headset right next to his bed. Yes. And he wakes up. He puts it on. That's right. Every day. Every day. That's what he's doing now. Um, so yeah, did one question and one thing I I noticed, but I want to ask you, like these people that you you talk to uh at id mainly mm-hmm. it seems like most of them aren't doing things in gaming today uh tim 
Willits and Kevin Cloud are, I believe, the only two Quake developers who are still at id. Uh-huh. A lot of them, some of them are doing things in gaming. John Romero is still making games, but he's in a, a very different area of the industry. Yeah. He's happy there. It's kind of an indie. He is, but... Uh, I thought Adrian Carmack's story was kind of sad. Like he's he's doing well, he's pursuing other interests, he's fine, but he has said that he has not been able to create art since kind of being forced out of id in 2005. Wow. It was 12 years. This guy lived, you know, he he lived art. He loved it. Uh everyone, everyone I talked to just praised his art. He kind of set the look for id games from Keen through uh I would say Quake 3 and Team Arena because he was involved in Doom 3, but that's when kind of the bit flipped on him, as they say. Politics started turning <laughs> to fight him. Oh, yeah. We should talk about this. We'll, we'll talk about the bit flip. <laughs> but the thing, like, Adrian's story just kind of bummed me out because here's a guy who used to love art, and he's admitted, like, every time I try, I just can't. It makes me sad. And that made me sad to hear. Yeah. No, it, that that was one of the sadder stories, but it, it felt like there was a, a theme of guys that were like, it's the best work I've ever done, and I hate that place, and it was horrible. I've I've run into that. There's so I'm writing the this book series called Stay Well and Listen about Blizzard and Diablo. I have uh, friends. I, I made friends with some of these ex Blizzard North developers and in interviewing them. One guy uh, said that when Diablo two shipped, he swung by a friend's house, handed his friend a collector's edition box. He's like, "Hey, I got that for you." And his friend said, "Oh, awesome! Do you want to play?" He said, "No, I never want to play that game again." To this day. He's not touched Diablo 2. Crunch was that bad. And yeah. it's, it's really bad that an industry predicated allegedly on fun and just enjoyment has, has can burn people out. Like, it's got like, it cre- it is a, there's a kind of developer PTSD yeah, there really that is. exists. And I think that's really too bad because games are, I know games are business. I get that. I've, I've been on both sides of the desk. I've, I've written games. I've written about games. It's really too bad that this, this, industry full of so many brilliant creative just people just turns them out like meat grinders the problem is that yes games are a business but video games are art and now because of commerce art has turned into business oh and you are seeing the people who are true artists get chewed up and spit out more than anyone i agree and i think that speaks to what we're seeing with adrian carmack in this feature and or just in history but yeah uh it sounds like from blizzard north too right you're seeing that Mm-hmm. it's sad uh there were you know we were talking about this before we recorded I, you know i love quake and it makes me sad uh reading some of these stories yeah it, it takes it does take these guys off of a pedestal right it makes them real people but at the same time i as i'm reading it, i'm like man i could actually watch a movie based around this there's that much stuff going on that's that interesting yeah that much backstabbing that much uh, like I said, just that that rock star mentality where you have like five dudes that are just all rock stars the and fu- fighting. The funny thing is, so one of the people I spoke to was Chris Vrenna, formerly of Nine Inch Nails. He's played for Maryland, Manchester Smashing Pumpkins. This guy's resume is so impressive as a musician. Uh, he actually said that when he and Trent Reznor met in software in like 90, 1995 when they kind of brokered the deal to do Quake soundtrack, to him and to Trent, these guys were the rock stars. Yeah. Because they loved Doom. They actually, Trent Reznor outfitted his tour bus with computers so that they could play Doom Deathmatch between shows. That's awesome. So to these guys, John Carmack, John Romero, American McGee, Tim Willis, these guys were the rock stars. And then to the id guys, 
they were the rock stars. And yeah. So it was this. It was this. It was this really wild, exciting, but also difficult time in the industry for a lot of people. God, I forgot that. There's even a chapter. Yeah. God, there's so many people that. Yeah. Uh, I canvassed. I did my best to talk to as many people from the the the, the various disciplines of Quake and gaming as I could. Kind of inside baseball mm-hmm. a little. What I found really fascinating about this whole process was, you know, when we started, we didn't know if we were going to get John Carmack. We right. didn't know. But as we started getting individuals to sign up, man, did the doors open. They really did. Everyone wanted to talk to us all of a sudden. Yeah, that's really cool. You could tell that we were on to something that's important because so many people wanted to have their voices heard about this story. Yeah. That's where I was like, wow, we're on to something big here. I think this is, it's a, it's something that in a, in the millisecond culture that we live in yeah where you know we gotta get a news story out there i could publish news stories with just headlines and probably get the same social media engagement right you know but it's i think important that sites continue to do content like this it's very important to me because i've kind of um put all my eggs into this basket what i mean is i love to write i love long reads i love long form content i love reading it i love writing it and you know i think it was earlier uh well late in late in november when the guardian announced that hey our revenue from subscribers from users has uh surpassed that of ad revenue Mm -hmm. to me that kind of it really did warm my heart because i'm like good there's still room for writers like me on the internet i don't just have to write books if i want to keep people's attention i can write book size content yeah and and publish it on the internet and people will read it i think that's important especially for gamers yeah to get this kind of content because so much of video game content today is video yeah and it's you know seven minutes and you're out i think that you end up missing a lot of the story if you're just looking at the game. Right. You know, we, you know, Shaq, we do a lot of interviews, but GamerHub, we started as an interview driven site. Mm-hmm. This to me is like taking interviews to that next logical level yeah. where we're doing deep dives into industry, mm-hmm. which I think people are going to be really interested in. I think our site, being a Quake fan site starting in 1996, the right. year that Quake came out. The only reason the site exists is that Steve Gibson, the founder, emailed John Carmack. Right. And now here we are in 2017 emailing John Carmack. Yep. You know, and it's like, I, I think it's, this is this nice arc. It is. That we can point to in this turnaround that we've been doing and be like, this is where we said, this is what Shack News is about. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yes. You can find Xenoblade guides on our site right now, you know, but and news stories, yeah, and news and stories, views, and top ten lists. And, but in you're also going to find these deep dives, yeah. And I'm very, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm kissing up, but I have to say, I, I very, I'm very appreciative to you for being willing to say, like, yes, you know what, one of my writers is going to take. I think I've been working on this for three, three and four months, yeah. Now. And for just believing in it, I, that gave me a lot of confidence to know that I wasn't, um, there wasn't someone kind of over my shoulder tapping his foot saying, where is it? Where is it? The fact that you've been able to diversify the site so that we can do strategy guides and news and reviews and these long form content, I think is really, I think is great because I think sites do need to diversify rather than continuing to chase trends. Yeah. Because if you can chasing trends, you're just going to run out of breath. The trends will always outpace you. You know, we were talking about this on our last episode with Greg, 
how <clears throat> I wanted this year to be a celebration of games. Right. I want our site in general to get back to our core, which was we were an enthusiast site. We want to celebrate games. Mm-hmm. And I think these kinds of look backs at the history of gaming is how we will do that is one way that we can do that. Right. You know, like we can be like, we love doom. Let's write about doom. Yeah. You know, we love quake. Let's write about quake. You know, it's like, what next? You know? And it's like, I I think that it's resonating with the development community. They're taking notice of our content. And that's why this has become such a massive feature. It it wasn't originally going to be this big. No. You know, and it, no. I, I think that's like I, I don't I don't deserve much credit for this. Like I I was patient with you, but only because I wanted this. Right. We're we're making content here that we ourselves want. We're being selfish <laughs> for you. Yeah, we're being selfish for Shack News. That's right. So it's like I, I that's why I think Shackers are going to be really pleased with this. It's because this is probably the most Shack News bit of content that we've ever created. I think so. You know, it's like you can't, you cannot get more Shack News than writing 110,000 words about Quake and shooters from the 90s. Agreed. You know, so it's like this is that, this is one of those moments. And I don't want to say the, because I think there's more in the future. Mm-hmm. But I think that this points, like you asked me, I don't know, several episodes ago, like how do we redefine this site? It's like moments like these we'll be able to point to when we're at the mountaintop right. be like, Hey, remember when we did that? Right. And I hope that other sites try to copy us because this is hard. This is not easily reproducible. Dude, this has been, um, I've had a lot of irons in the fire this year and this is probably the biggest just in terms of its scope. Mm-hmm. But this is something where I, I wanted to do it. I came to you and I said, awesome. I'm talking to this person. Is that cool? Can I keep going? And you said, yes. And that was very important. And I'm also proud of the fact that I, like you said, I got to the point where I had developers contacting me like, Hey, do you still have time to talk to me? And I would just say, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I thought, I think my cutoff was like last week. Cause I was good to, guys to a point where I'm like, all right, this has to be done. And that's part yeah. of game development, right? That happens, happens a lot where it's called feature creep. Where yep. You just keep going along and adding features, going through money in, in, in game development terms eventually you have to say okay nope this is it we're locking it down yeah but i waited until the last possible minute i mean we got adrian carmack because of that yeah exactly and that's that's always been my opinion is i'd rather delay it and get more out of it because i think we tell a better story now yeah with adrian's take we absolutely, and, and um, absolutely. I, it really like it touches you at times mm-hmm. you know I, that's that's the thing like I care about this game a lot and this franchise a lot and that studio a lot. And this just makes me, it, it, at times I'm like angry at what happened, it, it, but it makes me feel something. Yes. That's how you know you've done something is that you're reading it and you're like, man, why couldn't they work together? Like, why couldn't you just get John Carmack and John Romero to play nice together? Right. Why, why did, why was there so much backstabbing amongst the level designers? Yeah. Why, why, you know, it's just like, and it, I don't know. I always look at it and I'm like, Doom was based in hell. Quake was based in hell and alternate dimensions. Yeah. And I just wonder if because the studio was so her- heretic and hexen, yeah. hell. Yeah. I wonder if the Satanism kind of creeped in at some point, even though they weren't outwardly saying 666. Right. They're sweet. They, and, they're sweet yeah. with 666 in their building originally. Right. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like. It felt like there was just this cloud over them. Yeah. 
even though things were going well it was like the dark lord was watching them it's really it really <laughs> is too bad i had more than one developer say like i loved that place but it just wasn't a pleasant place to work and it's like man that's so sad but mm-hmm. on the bright side like look at what you created whatever you had to go through to get there look at what turned out from it we just went there for QuakeCon. we went to id software's headquarters yeah. We toured it, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of shackers, a lot of lurkers. We know you're out there right. that work or worked at id Software, mm-hmm. and that place seemed pretty pleasant to me. It did. It, it did. seemed really nice. I feel like the stuff that happened has led to a much better place, and all those guys, those founders should be proud of what they created, because look, they created Doom last year, Doom 2016, which is like that celebration of everything that was good about it yep that's the thing like at, at its core and that was a technical marvel right was, like the, the, the technology mixed with the user experience and the art style and the level design those are still the cores of that flaw that the, the core philosophies of that place even though most of those people are gone right. i know tim willits is still there and kevin cloud's still there right but that new class they get it I'll sh- I'll float a theory because um, I've been I've spent so much time writing about its past and kind of as you do with history you you look at history as a lens through which you can kind of uh, prognosticate the future. Mm-hmm. I think one reason that that it for for all I know is it seems like a better place seems like a more pleasant place is because they're bigger. Yeah. There was there was a conscious effort by John Carmack and others to keep it small because that's what he wanted, that's what they wanted. The problem with small teams is eventually people, you know, egos are going to develop. People want to do their own thing, but they can't. They're trapped. So they look they look at the pecking order and they say, "All right, who can I knife in the back to kind of rise up so that I have more control, so that I have more say and and more freedom to do what I want." Doom 2016 was a completely different team than the Quake team. I'm sure there was some cross-pollination. But, you know, Quake Champions was happening concurrent to, to Doom 2016. Rage was happening concurrent to the game that became Doom 2016. I think the fact that id Software is now big enough to where they're allowed to grow and have multiple teams, people have more room to kind of spread their wings and do what they want to do without yep. being without feeling like they're like, okay, there are only nine other people here who I got to kill to have more to have a louder voice. Yeah, you know, and sometimes it seemed like that to me. Just in talking, it had like a weird folks. Lord of the Flies feel to it it really did yeah and so, so that's actually one reason why i ended up calling this rocket jump a lot of my titles they take on uh double entendres kind of later i get a feeling about them and that's when i go with them a rocket jump is pointing a rocket at the ground and firing the pro jumping right before you do you it. jump right before you do it but you mitigate the damage, but you do still hurt, you still yourself. hurt yourself. Yep. That to me was id Software. A <laughs> rocket jump is used to reach greater heights, but you are hurting yourself. You are cannibalizing your health as you do that. That, that is, to me is the story of id Software. That's perfect. And I, I can't think of a more iconic thing for Quake than the rocket jump. Right. No, it's uh, I think you should be very proud of what you've done. Thank you. Thank you for doing it for Shack News. Well, I think this one more question. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Would you like to talk a bit about Mercury? Because this is the first piece of premium content we've done. And so I thought you might want to give new and longtime Shackers kind of a, a bit of insight into into what this means for the future of our Mercury subscription. Sure. Uh, Rocket Jump, the first, I think, up to Quake, the, the Quake 1 chapters 
two of the three yeah, quick one chapters. Two of the three quick yeah. one chapters mm-hmm. are, are available for free to anyone. The remaining seventeen chapters, um, six twenty-two, twenty-two chapters. Yeah, the remaining twenty-two chapters yeah. are premium. Yes, for our Mercury subscribers. So people have asked us for to give them value for the Mercury subscription. This is the first moment where we are making premium content for only our paid subscribers. Uh, this may have been done in the past by Shack News. I don't think it was. I don't think. I think that what it got you was File Shack. File Shack was around. I don't think you had to wait in lines to download files. So it was a file. It was. It was back when the internet was run by potatoes. Right. Not like in Northeast Ohio, but like <laughs> the whole internet was run by potatoes. Right. Uh, this is the first time the Shack News has premium content available. So for $5 a month, you can subscribe to our service. You get no ads on the site. And our ads are terrible. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you also get premium content like this. This isn't the end of it. We're going to do a lot more stuff uh, right. that's premium going forward Then uh, that we think also caters to our community. So uh, thank you to all of our Mercury subs who've been with us since uh august of two years ago right you know it's august of 15 Mm -hmm. and they've just been patiently waiting you know it's been in beta this whole time we're still in beta so there's more things to come this is really just the first thing there's a lot more coming next year when it comes to the redesign i'm actually meeting with some folks excellent uh it'll be tomorrow when this airs right uh uh Tuesday of next week because we're we're recording this a little bit early mm-hmm. um, about the redesign. It's going to be the biggest redesign Shack News has ever seen. It's going to change. It's going to change Shack News forever, and I'm getting really excited about it. I'm starting to. I'm building the website that I want. Excellent. And just like this content was something that I wanted, mm-hmm. so, you know, so it's like so you turned me loose on it. So I'm like, here, go nuts. Yeah. But that's been my philosophy at, with our team is play to people's strengths don't be like hey david you're gonna write news or like hey uh you know ozzy you're gonna write guides mm-hmm. you know like that's a, it's a waste of your guys time it's not a waste of your time but we're not gonna get this kind of content out of you mm-hmm. or what we're getting out of ozzy when it comes to the esports coverage yeah uh he loves that stuff and so that passion bleeds through yeah it's works. like why why especially like telling you to write about quake it's like, okay. I, didn't, I didn't have to twist your arm, you know. Oh. Uh, but yeah, I, I think having a having a shacker come from the chatty to the staff now. I know you've done this twice now. Yeah, I kind of came full circle. Yeah, you're back. Yeah. Uh, to and then do this. I, I think this is a great moment for Shack News. I appreciate and, that. It's and, a great moment for me too. I'm very proud of it. No, you should be. And uh, I think we have a lot more stuff like this to come. But this should be that first signal to people of, hey, there's premium content. There's value being delivered. And it's five bucks a month. It's five dollars a month. That's, that's, that's what did you say earlier. That's it's less than you'll spend at Starbucks. Yeah, on your high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> right. It is less than you'll spend in a day at Starbucks. That's the you'll get a whole month of premium content and ad-free Shack News experience. And more stuff to come. Absolutely. So that i think that's that's all i got from the promotional standpoint i I think this has been a promotional episode for rocket jump 
Uh, I just call it Rocket Jump because it sounds cool. But nice. the whole, I'm, I'm I'm pretty excited about that name. I got to tell you. Yeah, we we ran into a little trouble last time with the name of the Doom one. <laughs> That's all right though. That's all right. The content spoke for itself. I wasn't editor in chief back then. But moving forward, uh, no, I really, I, I think we have something here. I'm excited for Shackers to to read it. I want. I can't wait to see the chatty's response to this. I hope a lot of people subscribe because you can even if you just want to see if you if you have a month to read this opus, <laughs> uh, you can just you can read it for five dollars and then cancel your subscription. Pretty damn good deal. But you're gonna want to keep subscribing because there's more stuff to come. Absolutely, and a lot more features. Uh, so yeah, you're helping us do this kind of content, and everyone who's subscribed up until this point, just thank you for the faith you've had in us that we would do something you know i and i think some folks just wanted to support us so it's like it's all it, it had functioned kind of like a patreon but with actual value being added right um but now it's just we're adding more value for the same price so mercury sub should feel good about this and then people who don't have mercury should want to subscribe to get this kind of content and if you aren't a mercury sub go read the preview it's a meaty preview it is you know and it'll get you excited about quake and and just shooters in general in that time period you're gonna want to subscribe by the time i think i think we did a good job of making a nice teaser yeah that you're gonna be like damn what happens next i'm pretty sure it's over the the teaser is over fifteen thousand words i think which is almost twice as long as the tomb raiders select that i wrote last fall (laughs) yeah so yeah yeah that's just to give you guys a frame of reference yeah uh, and then I, I think we could do some like breakaway like stories from it just to promote it on the front page. Yeah. It's like, Hey, this is that, that one anecdote, like kind of headline it up. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's all we have for this special episode. I don't think I need to get on my soapbox for this one. No. This is a celebration. That's right. Of awesome content. So yeah, go out there and read rocket jump for Shaq news. <laughs>